Welcome to Decaf. Mark and Taylor are back again. Mark, what are you drinking this week? Uh, right now, it's just sparkling water because, as I told you earlier, I just got my energy drinks from Amazon about 10 minutes ago, so I can't drink it. So it's in the freezer right now, and I have to drink this while I wait for my first caffeine boost of the day. So well, if I'm not if I'm not up to up to snuff today, that's the reason why. No yeah, caffeine. right. It's because you're just not as good of a host as I am. I've got my coffee. Ooh, I don't even host. <laughs> I got my coffee and my girl power cup girls get it done i got this for my birthday last year from one of my friends who i do her podcast with her too um and this is always my cup that i use when i'm feeling feisty is it gold and yellow yeah i don't like the colors okay well it's not yours so nobody asks. i know i would never use that anyway but you know what mark oh this is a good transition but you know what mark <laughs> this is america <laughs> and you can say whatever you want but unfortunately, in the UK, some authors don't feel the same way, and so they wrote a letter. And that's our first topic today. Wasn't that a great transition? They, when you say it's a great transition twice, it kind of takes away from how good of a transition it could have been. Okay. That's like, anyway. so we make, shall be like, hey guys, wasn't that a great shot? <laughs> anyway. Was, um, it, was it just the UK? Well, it's everywhere now, but it's a lot of authors that are based in the UK that that started this. Um, but if you're like me and you haven't heard of this until this morning, um, a, a handful of authors, more than a handful, 150 authors wrote an open letter called A Letter on Justice and Open Debate that was published in Harper's Bazaar about how we are creating an intolerant climate of people shutting down other people's thoughts, canceling people. We all know how me and Mark feel about cancel culture. People are canceling people who don't agree with them. And all these authors, J.K. Rowling, Noam Chomsky, Mar Margaret Atwood, all of these authors are saying this has gone too far. And, and they're very, very left of center. Every single, I think everyone I saw in there is very left of center. And they basically did this whole thing about how I mean, they made sure to trash Trump and, and conservatives for doing that. But they said, like, we can't, we can't do that, too, because it's going to just lead to disaster for everybody. Yeah, and it's, it's really dangerous, I think, when you are only speaking in a wind tunnel and you can't hear the other things going on outside of you and you're only, speak, you're only speaking to your audience. That's what happens when you cancel people or when you get canceled. And um, it's really nice to see prominent names. You know, you wouldn't think... A Handmaid's Tale has been associated. Margaret Atwood is the author of The Handmaid's Tale. That has been one of the most liberal um, examples of what our society is turning into, they say, over the last year. And she came out and spoke on, and said, listen, we don't want this to be, we don't want people to be stifled. We want people to speak their minds. And that, that was the most unexpected one to me. And J.K. Rowling got canceled. So that's not t terribly surprising. I mean, Matthew Iglesias from Vox is about the most. And Noam Chomsky, I mean, these are both very, very far left, like socialist type people. But just because they're socialist, I mean, just doesn't, doesn't mean they don't want some type of open debate. And this whole, I think that, that really the takeaway from this letter, and there was a lot of people boycotting it, which kind of shows exactly the reason they had to write it in the first place. But the point of this letter is, is like, look, we need open debate on these issues. It's not so much about whether we're going to cancel. Like, we need open debate because if we have one side just saying something and the other side feels uncomfortable bringing something out. Like, that reminds you of communist regimes. It reminds you of dictatorships. And if we don't feel like we can do that, we're not going to get good policies. And we're not even going to be able to debate what a good policy is. Like, whatever the mass says is what we need to do. And nobody else can have a voice. And it might not even be the mass. It might just be the loudest people, not the mass. <laughs> 
Well, Mark, you didn't want to talk about Hamilton on the podcast, but I'm going to bring it up really quick. If you watched Hamilton in the last week that it's been out, you'll see that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote a scene in Hamilton, several scenes where Jefferson and Hamilton battled over their ideas, criticized each other, slapped each other with their words, and they, they were still, they had prominent places in society because even though they disagreed and they hated each other, no one shut the other person down or canceled the other person because they disagreed. Life went on, life moved on. Where, where did that go? And, and one of the, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, one of the bigger issues, my, my alma mater, Marquette, um, which I loved going to, one, one, of the, one of the best experiences of my life going there, they almost didn't let a woman in, a girl in, after she was accepted because she was a Trump supporter. And she didn't say anything racist. There was no, like, issues with what she said. What? You posted a TikTok about yeah, yeah, Trump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it wasn't anything, like, it wasn't anything insane at all. She didn't say anything that's offensive. And just because she believed a certain way, they almost pulled her acceptance. And they, they did end up letting her in, but I think it's because of the outcry. So this idea that because somebody has a different political opinion than you uh, or has a different idea of you that we're just like not listening to you at all and you're, you're just not relevant. I mean, that's crazy. And that's, I mean, th this is what socialist and communist countries do, right? In, in China, you speak out, you probably die. And, like, and, and at some point you're moving towards that by not allowing open and free speech. Like the first amendment is the most important amendment and one of the reasons that America is so great, so you're almost trying to take that away or say, I don't care about your right to the First Amendment. I'm not listening to you. Well, there are you say anything. People do say toxic things. I mean, we've all been a victim sure. of someone saying something toxic to us, around us, seeing that. We've all, people say toxic things. But the fact of the matter is that you, just like you said, we live in America and you have the right to say those toxic things. And, sure. if, and if people aren't, this is what gets me. If people aren't saying their toxic ideas, then those of us with healthier ideas don't have the opportunity to help change their mind, open their eyes, debate with them, understand deep in our own understanding of why that is so toxic. And, and if, you're keep, if people are keeping these toxic ideas in their heads, then we don't have an opportunity as a society to rectify that. And well, I think they're trying to kind of make these like the conservative free market, whatever people, they want to say, you know what, these people are bad for society, they're racist, they're sexist, they're all these things, because they know that, of course, there is people like that from both sides. I mean, there is people who are absolutely like that. But this idea is like, our love of the free market, and our love of bringing people out of, out of, um, like the deaths of, of society. When you have people in these super poor countries that show capitalism, they bring people out of poverty. And we believe in it for that reason. It's, it's insane that the whole reason we believe in it, and if they hear voices like ours, they're like, well, they're not racist, they're not sexist, and they're making a lot of good points. It's going to go against what they believe in. It's going to hurt their idea that socialism is the way to go or communism is the way to go. So I feel like they're, they think that by shutting people like us up, they can brand this entire right of center movement as this one thing that's racist, sexist, and, and just make them not even able to be listened to because they said no no we're the we're the party that believes in you even though your ideas are terrible socialism's terrible even if you are even if you are well-meaning it's an awful idea and it never works and i want to have that discussion because you won't win that discussion the only way they can win the discussion is by shutting the opponents up
Yeah, and that's their only thing, and that's why I have such issue with politicking based on emotion, because emotions are so fickle. I can be in a bad mood one morning and in a great mood in the afternoon. Emotions are so fickle, but reason and principle and policy is something that never changes. That's why I work for a think tank and not for a campaign, because people can change and these ideas don't. And I get so tired of people dismissing my ideas because someone who someone else who they disagree with because that person is fueled by emotion this they disagree with this emotional person also believes in these you can't base your your allegiance to an idea or a principle based on another person who believes the same thing and conservatives are just as guilty of it as anyone else people will say well mm -hmm. well this actor who is super liberal also believes that um any that corporate welfare is bad well <laughs> we can all agree that corporate welfare is bad even though this actor also thinks these radical crazy socialist things and i totally don't we can agree on certain things and we won't know what we agree on if we keep shutting people up that's right Whew, i get so heated about it do you have anything else to say before we move on from this no nope. nope, i think that's perfect okay well go read the letter if you haven't read it and don't it's, it's in harper's harper's magazine Harper yeah and just like pro tip for like living your life, don't cancel people. That's rude. Okay, so let's talk about something happy. Let's talk about a win that Beacon had this week. Um, as most of you who listen to this probably know, there are kind of a few facets to Beacon. We have our research side, we have Beacon Impact RC4, and we also have our litigation center that sues the government when the government is acting totally whack. And this week we had, don't roll your eyes at me, we had a big win um, on something that we all care about, which is transparency. Several months ago, we filed a lawsuit to um, say that the Tennessee School Board Association, which is the group that educates school boards and that trickles down into the classroom, um, is subject to open records requests. They were claiming that they weren't government, they were outside of government, so they weren't subject to open records requests. Our lawsuit said that by being the functional equivalent of government, meaning that people who are public employees had to get their education through the school board association. They were the functional equivalent of government and they should be open to public records requests. The chancellor sided with us, issued an order that said, you're right, they are the functional equivalent of government and they should be open to public records requests. This was, and even though it's kind of a, a it only applies to a certain small group. This is a huge deal, a huge precedent for transparency in Tennessee across the whole state. Yeah, well, it applies to a small group now. I think that this is problematic for a lot of these quasi-government entities. I think we've done a lot of economic development boards, um, a, a lot of places like that. So this is, a, it's a huge deal, not just because of the school board association, which is a great one on its own, but it's under this precedent, like you said, how many other organizations are gonna have to open up their books that don't want to? Do they wanna see the communications that some of these uh, economic development places had with companies or, or, uh, or the emails that they sent to uh, CEOs of companies that might be their friends? I mean, this really opens up such a Pandora's box and in a good way. And that's what Braden said. I mean, our, our lawyer, I talked to him, said, look, this is a big deal on its own. This is a case that would be great to win, but it's like what this could mean long-term in the state of Tennessee could be huge. And when we pay our tax dollars, we deserve to know what's happening with them. And that's what this will allow us to do. And I, I'm guessing, I, I have not heard firsthand, but that there may be more, more lawsuits to follow uh, with other quasi-government entities that clearly are the functional equivalent of government and use tax dollars. I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty common sense, I think, to most people. And I think the media specifically, who might not really care about the school board association, 
is excited about this because like it's it's open records it's sunlight it's the type of thing that everybody wants to see yeah i totally agree i think um i was talking to someone about it and and she was asking, you know, why this hadn't got a lot of buzz. And I was just explaining that people don't really understand what it means until we've won and we can explain what this means in the future. The School Board Association is just one example. The Tennessee School TSBA is just one example of a group that is funded 90% by tax dollars that is not accountable to the taxpayers. And now they're going to be forced to be. And it's honestly a breath of fresh air to have more transparency in government because that's what that's what it's all about like you said if if they're making a living being funded off our tax dollars then we deserve to know where that goes and that's what beacon's all about really that's how we i guess got our claim to fame was the pork report calling out organizations that it within government that were not spending tax dollars well our tanf study exposing misspending by government um that's that's what we're all about at the end of the day. And the Tennessee has a really good write-up on our case and what they, they did a write-up before we filed the case and then after we won. So uh, if we can attach that, I feel like it's, it's a good read to see kind of exactly what our win means. Yeah, check the comments for that. So congratulations, Braden and Megan, our legal team. They worked so hard on this case. Carrie, our plaintiff, she's lovely, a Williamson County parent who just wanted to know what her children are being taught. Um, people with great intentions, it's a great victory for all of them. So congratulations, everyone. Um, speaking of great people that we know, we had another win this week. This time it wasn't a legal win, it was more of a legislative win. The Nashville Metro Council finally passed a bill to allow home businesses to operate in Nashville. And this is a huge deal. Beacon has been involved in a lawsuit with our two plaintiffs, Liz Shaw and Pat Rayner, since 2017. Institute for Justice partnered up with us. Lidge and Pat were both shut down. Their businesses out of their homes were shut down by Metro Codes, and they haven't been able to work um, for all of these years, yeah, out of their homes at least. And we sued the city of Nashville and said, you can't do this. You can't tell people what they can and can't do out of their homes. Didn't go so well on the court level, but then Dave, Dave Rosenberg, who's a Metro Councilman, filed a bill late last year, in November of last year, to allow home businesses with several guidelines that we're okay with, um, to allow home businesses to operate in Nashville. And I feel like I lost several years off of my life during all of the planning commission meetings and the Metro council meetings that I had to go to, to listen to this. But at like one in the morning, the other night, the Metro council voted on it 26, 13, the bill passed. And now home businesses are allowed in Nashville. That's the background. Mark, please explain why this is such a huge deal. Yeah, so the city banned home businesses with no regard for anyone's right to earn a living or this whole thing that we always talk about is like, it's not health, it's not safety, it's not noise. All those things were already illegal. So they just made this decision to do it. And uh, I'm in some of my neighborhood groups, I think the Donaldson Hermitage Neighbor Association, and, and they're, they're lobbying against it because they don't really understand what's in the bill. They don't get it. And it's all these people who are lobbying against it, who, who either it, it benefits them directly, and that's the only reason they're against it, or they're just scared of like these, I, I don't know what they say, like scared of these extreme examples, like, oh man, there's going to be people playing loud music at 4 a.m. and it's going to wake everyone up. It's like, no, that, that's still illegal. That was always illegal. So it's just, it's just bad faith actors who are against this. And anybody with common sense was really forced the whole time about somebody's right to earn a living. We, we work with Lidge, we work with Patricia, and they've they been excellent. So it was a common sense piece of legislation, in my opinion, but common sense pieces of legislation often do not pass the National City Council. 
So <laughs> we do have to give them the shout out. I mean, I, I've, I just believe that they don't do anything right for the most part and they will vote the wrong way and everything. So to see them vote the right way on something, and a lot of these people too who are like very, very liberal socialists that like, I think one guy's a member of the communist party, literally. Um, and they voted for it. So, I mean, it was a good win. And some of the so-called conservatives on cancel voted against it. So it's just, a, it was a weird, <laughs> just a weird vote, but we're very happy it happened. Anytime we get the government out of people's business, it's great. And anytime people can make own their, like make their own living without government intrusion is great too. Now, if we can stop rolling back all these phases of, of COVID so no business can open, that would be great too. But for the meantime, in the, in the Metro Council, we need to take our wins when they come. They don't come often. So let's celebrate this. Justin wrote a great blog post basically saying, yeah, I've been yelling at you guys for like the last six years, but you, you did do something right. So I want to congratulate you on that. And that's, that's what we need to do too. Like as people, we need to say, you know what? We're never going to agree with them. But when we do, and, and we, will, we will tell them we don't agree with them, but when we do, let's give them a shout out. And we don't try to fight people. And even though we disagree with every member of Metro Council and just everything, um, it's good to say you did something right. Great job. Yeah, and this was something they did very right. Our plaintiffs spoke over and over and over on the need for this. And it was just, it was a great win in a time when we really needed a win. Um, so congratulations to Lidge and Pat and our whole legal team. I was in a group text with the attorneys and Justin and Lidge and Pat the night of the vote. And I have never heard happier people in all of my life. When that was announced, we were all still awake. It was 1.30 in the morning. We were all still awake watching this. People all over the country who have been working on this issue, all in this group text, just freaking out, so excited, so happy that people finally get a chance to work from their home. Um, it was it was a huge win. And one more, they were about Lidge and Pat who can now start their own businesses. There's thousands of other people in Nashville who now have that opportunity, who might be struggling financially and don't have enough money to afford a storefront. Like this is a huge deal for some of the lower income people in Nashville who like have this entrepreneurial spirit and want to start a business, but can't afford a storefront because it's really expensive. So this is going to have, I think, just long-term effects that are going to be just great for the city of Nashville. And maybe next time we're in a huge budget hole because they don't know how to handle finances, we'll have a little bit more of a tax base because these people have been able to open their businesses and be successful. I'm just so happy. I can't stop smiling every time I think about it. I'm like glowing. It's nice to be happy on this podcast. I feel like with the last like three months, it's been a lot of negative stuff. So it's nice to have like two good things in a row here to, to talk about. I, we have rallied people. I mean, we're just, I, I'm just, I can't even explain how happy I am. Pat is cutting mine and Justin's hair next Thursday afternoon. We're going to go get a haircut from her house that is legal. And I am just over the moon about it. We'll post those. Has videos. Justin gotten a haircut yet during, during, it, yeah. was, it was getting really, really long for a while there. He got one, but I will say, and Justin's going to listen to this and he's going to love it. Um, last week, Kara, his wife, found a scrapbook that they made when they first started dating. And Justin's got this like floppy, hippie bro hair. And oh, the shaggy? Red bandana. And he's starting to look a little more like shaggy when he needs, really needs a quarantine haircut. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you look like one of the members of like the, like the 90s bands that you didn't really want to listen to. They were a little bit older. Like, yeah. I, like, and Basically, like, yeah, or like 98 degrees when they're like 40 or just like a, a bunch of Joey Fatones. I could see him in like a music video where it's like just frames. You know, they like, it's not really anything. There's like people playing guitar and sunglasses with bandanas and it's just like awkward framing. That's, that's what Justin looked like. He kind of looks like Jesse McCartney. Have you ever seen like, like, nah, have you seen him? 
oh my God, he looks just like Jesse McCartney. Because he's got the whole hair thing. Well, I mean, he's like a, that was like a compliment there because he was like a big sex symbol. So you're welcome, Justin. We insulted you for the first half, but then we, we left you with a great comparison. We're redeeming that by comparing you to a teeny bopper. And Jesse McCartney, just won, Jesse McCartney just won, I think, or, or was in The Masked Singer and was one of the, I think, I think he was the winner of The Masked Singer. Well, congrats, Justin. Your doppelganger just won The Masked sing mass yes. Singer. <laughs> you're both achieving a lot. Well, speaking of celebrities, um, the last few election cycles, um, there have been celebrities who have either talked about running for president or have run for president, gotten in the race, whatever. And Mark and I were thinking, policy and politics aside, let's let's pretend like we don't know any of these celebrities' politics. Who would we pick as a celebrity to run for president? Mark, I'm going to make you go first, and you have to say your celebrity, and then okay. you have to defend it. Okay. Matthew McConaughey is my celebrity. That's a great choice, actually. <laughs> I think he is smart. I think he really brings people together. Everybody likes the guy. I don't know one person doesn't like the guy. And, and, he, and he has conversations. And, like, he would just make us feel so much better. He would make us feel so good about our country. And I feel like he would listen to both sides and come up with the best option. He just seems like a really reasonable, nice guy who has good intentions, who, who wants to do the best for the country. So assuming that his politics were somewhat aligned with mine, he would be the obvious choice. I think he's great. And um, again, name a celebrity who has less people hate them. I don't think anybody hates Matthew McConaughey. It's true. Okay. Can you? And he's handsome. Okay, so mine, and just go with me here, would be okay. Kate Middleton. And I know she's a member of the British royal family, but okay. but if, if she were to turn the tide and come to America and be our leader, she would be just like the founders who also turned on the British monarchy and came to America because of freedom. And she knows how to carry herself. She's very well-spoken. She believes in civic engagements and really helping people out. I just, she's just like my role model. Either her or Reese Witherspoon. I would pick either either Kate Middleton or Reese Witherspoon because they're my role models. You do realize you need to be born in the U.S. to be president, correct? I said politics and policy aside. Well, no, that's not, that's just the actual law. We're not talking about politics and policy. You literally need to be born here to be president. Okay, I'm, fine. This I'm is, pretty sure you forgot that for a little bit. No, we're just dreaming here. We're just dreaming mm. of who we would want to be president. I don't know. I think Reese Witherspoon would be way. I don't even know anything about Kate Middleton. I know she's British and she was married to the prince. And okay. like, what is she? I, I don't think I've really ever heard her talk. Yeah, she's very well-spoken. You should look her up. Either Kate Middleton or Reese Witherspoon. My defense of Reese would be, she's a Southern lady. She's from right here in Tennessee. She'd be a Tennessee president. Um, entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. She's also very well-spoken. Um, and she's a sweet family woman. She loves her children. I just think that she is the epitome of all that is good that America has to offer. <laughs> and she gets bonus points. She's actually born here, so she can actually run for president, unlike Kate Middleton. Listen, I thought we were just like dreaming. I thought this was like a stretch thing. No, it's gonna be a stretch, but it's got to be somebody who is actually eligible to run for president. I've watched uh, Hamilton too many times and the founders turning on Britain. I've done this too much. Yeah, I feel like you've thought that out a long time to not think about the fact that she could not be president. But w one last thing before we go is that we were just nominated for an award uh, for we were. the it was best issue campaign or best research. Best so we for an award uh, with the Bob Williams Award, which is an SPN thing. So we're going to be sending that out to our email list because we need your votes. So we're in the top three. In order to win, we need you to vote for us. And it was for our Poverty to Prosperity um, report that we did, which we mentioned earlier, and all the press we got from that and, and all the- you don't remember the title of the report. It was the one where we exposed the government sitting on millions and hundreds of millions of TANF dollars. 
Yeah, Tanner Towers and, and try to use it to try to get people actually back to work. But um, it was a big report. So please go and vote. We will attach it here and we'll send you an email probably at a later time. But it's a big deal to be nominated for this and we would appreciate your support. Yeah. Wow. That was a great pitch. Mark, you should run for office. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> please, please don't. I would not vote for you. Um, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.